Can I pray for you? Yes. This is my favorite thing to do. Lord, thank you for my good friend here. God, I thank you for the mantle on his life, Lord, not just to pastor, but to prophesy to a generation. God, I ask that this morning you would create in him a word that we could hear. God, I am asking for no word to fall from his mouth unused, but God, that our ears would be opened, and God, that this would be an effective change of our lives, God. Lord, that in no way would we listen to this jaded and dull, but God, open up our spirits right now in Jesus' name and anoint his tongue. Amen. Thank you so much, Will. Thank you for that. Um, man, I'm going to cry. <laughs> it's always good to get. I pray for so many people. I hardly get prayed for. And when somebody offers, it just touches my heart. Thank you, Will. Um, the teaching text for today is in the book of Hebrews, if you want to turn there. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to set up some statistics. We're going to be talking about burnout. Hopefully that's okay. Um, I think it's a needed conversation to be had in the church, uh, especially as we head off our into fall, right, out of summer where we kind of, you know, pull up the emergency break and enjoy our friends and family and our loved ones. You know, we sit poolside, we have cookouts, and we just kind of cruise a little bit. Well, fall is around the corner, right? And that's when, like, the heatedness of life starts to speed up, right? And we, the demands that are on us with work and school and family start to really weigh in. And I thought it would be uh, appropriate before we start a new series called Tethered uh, to just talk maybe two Sundays about burnout and just kind of uh, look at it as we kind of re-engage as a church, you know, and, and, and kind of work in the harvest field of Cambridge. Is that Okay. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in 15 uh, and 16, we read this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace grace to help in time of need. In the 1970s, the term burnout was coined by American psychologist Herbert Frudenberg. I think I'm pronouncing his last name right. I'm not quite sure there. You can check me on that. It's close enough, I think. But he used the term to describe uh, the outcome of people who had experienced severe stress in high-stakes situations. Around that time, uh, a massive fallout took place in the medical world. A number of doctors and nurses were exhausted, unable to cope with life due to the nature of their profession, naturally, right? Uh, and this is what prompted um, this uh, psychologist's um, research. Now, it, it seems as though we've entered in, uh, I think within the last 10 years, from my recollection, uh, to a season where many in the church, unfortunately, have been affected, have been touched by uh, fatigue, weariness. Uh, a growing number of believers uh, feel depleted, right? They feel unable to contribute and add their piece and play their part in the body of Christ. Uh, unfortunately, it seems as though burnout has affected sacred spaces, that it's not just a secular issue, it's a sacred issue. It's in the camp. It's in the body of Christ. Uh, we know this because actually this year, the Christian research organization Barna reported that in March of this year, 
the percentage of pastors and parishioners alike are struggling with burnout at unprecedented levels. Just about over 42% of the church feels weary according to their study. That's a substantial amount of, of people, friends. Burnout, again, unfortunately has infiltrated the church. And so I don't say that to shame anybody today. If you are here and you yourself feel weary and tired and burnt out, grace to you. I want to be helpful. I don't want to just condemn or shame anybody for where they're at emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically. But let's just acknowledge this. In the church, it's not easy, really, to talk about burnout, is it? No, it's not because... You know, after all, we're the people of God, right? We're taught to not grow weary in well-doing, right? That's what the Apostle Paul encourages us to do. We are to persevere, right? We are to be a people of power and strength. But we can't ignore the facts, can we? Statistically, in the church has already been mentioned, people are burning out in large numbers. And somehow, some way, by God's grace... We need to stop the hemorrhaging. <laughs> we need to stop the bleeding. I, I don't know if I really know how to do that, but man, by God's grace, I'm hoping uh, that at least for this house, we can. Now, if you've ever experienced um, the unfortunate circumstance of burning out, then you know it leaves you feeling rather powerless, right? It leaves you weak, you know? And, and, and part of you, you want to be strong, but you just can't bring yourself to be strong. If you're here today and you're like, that's me, I want to tell you that there's hope. There's hope. If you feel weary today, if you feel a certain kind of exhaustion mentally, spiritually, physically, friends, there is hope. We have, as was read, right, a great high priest. That's what the author of Hebrews said. His name is what? Jesus. We sang about him this morning, right? And, and Jesus, this great high priest, this resurrected, seated at the right hand of God, majestic Christ, the ruler of the heavens and the earth, he sympathizes with not just some, right? Not just parts of the human condition but and, and, and our weakness, but he sympathizes, according to the author, with all of our weaknesses. Right? Yes, friends, even the weakness of weariness. Let's read the text again. You put it up on the overhead. That would be very helpful. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest, right? This is Christ the author is talking about. He was unable to sympathize with our weakness. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence. Don't you love that word? I just love that word in that text, you know. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Essentially, when we are at our weakest, Jesus is at his best. Of course, Jesus is always at his best. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, get off the rails here. But it, this is where Jesus kind of works his magic when we're at our weakest. Like Jesus shows what? He shows compassion. He shows mercy. And he helps us. He's, he's helpful. 
Oh, come on, I love that in the text, that the author draws that out. That he's not just like, extending mercy and grace, but he's wanting to be helpful. <laughs> Some of our closest friends don't even do that for us when we get into the kind of muck and mire of burnout, right? Uh, some of our friends can't even be that for us. But Jesus, well, he can. He is. Now, back to friends, not to shame anybody here, but have you ever had a friend that means well, right? It tries to sympathize, tries to understand what you're going through, tries to, you know, help you navigate through maybe a tricky season in your life, but they have no shared experiences, right? It's hard for them to really understand in a meaningful way where you're coming from. Now, I think sometimes we think of Jesus like those kind of friends, right? Like, and probably even worse, right? I mean, after all, he is the resurrected one, right? He is, I mean, how can God, you know, be involved in the affairs of man, you know? Like, doesn't he have more important things to do than sympathize with little old me and, and, and my weaknesses? Well, that's something to wrap your brain around, isn't it? Just about how compassionate and kind Jesus is. But sometimes I think we kind of look at Jesus, excuse me, like this friend who tries but really can't, right? He can't really, doesn't really have some of the experiences that we have. Now, I promise you guys, listen, Jesus is nothing like that friend who can't relate. He, he fully understands what we're going through. Because, why? Well, not only because he's God, but because he's been through it as well. Listen to the author, Eric Raymond, who wrote this in an article titled, He is Able to Sympathize with Us. He says this, There is nothing that anyone has gone through or currently going through or will go through that Jesus cannot relate to, sympathize with, or encourage his children in. Let me read that one more time. There is nothing that anyone has gone through or currently going through or will go through that Jesus cannot relate to, sympathize with, or encourage his children in. Now, in case you think Eric's a little bit off his rocker, he gave us a, a list of 20 examples of just, and it's just, this is just scratching the surface, the surface, excuse me, of how the Son of God in his time here on earth could um, bring himself through some of the experiences he had to sympathize with us in his resurrected body, seated at the right hand of God. Let me read a couple. In Matthew 8 20, Jesus was homeless. In Matthew 12 46, Mark 12 46, Mark 3 21, and John 7 5. Jesus' family thought he was crazy. His best friends turned their back on him in Mark 26, 56. His closest confidant sold him to be killed for pocket change in Matthew 26, 46 through 50. He stood in the face of the devil and endured all of his demonic um, tricks. That's Luke 4, 1 through 13. He dealt with death, that's John 11, 1 through 45. He endured gossip and slander, Matthew 24 and John 8, 52. He endured suffering for righteousness sake in John 15, 20. He was shamed publicly, Mark 11, 12. He, he received criticism in his ministry, uh, John 5, Matthew 12. His theology was mocked, you can pick a verse. Uh, his uh, message was rejected, again, you can pick a verse. Uh, his preaching was critiqued, Luke 4. His disciples didn't get it, again, pick a verse. And he endured complete and utter separation from God so that you and I would never have to. Matthew 27, 46. I'm convinced, thoroughly convinced, 
that just by this short list of examples, Jesus is very much qualified, probably even more so than your closest friend who maybe have some, who may have some shared experience than anyone else on planet earth. Jesus is able to sympathize, sympathize, excuse me, with us, not only because he is God, the son, but because he has been through everything we've been through and even more. Now I got a confession to make. I'm not, I'm not new to that, right? I, I was almost going to throw myself under the bus last Sunday and tell you all that I was an aggressive driver, um, but I didn't. If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to last week's sermon. Um, but I have a confession to make that when it comes to my weakness, per se, um, and the weakness of other people, I lack grace. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm not the friend that's going to sympathize, right? You know? I mean, I may be able to put on a good face, you know, <laughs> but in, inside my heart, I'm like, would you just get it together? You know, like, I, I, what is your, this is just an excuse, like, you know, get on with life, friend. Uh, my point is this, is that, you know, in American culture, we're, we're not so good with dealing with our weakness and the weaknesses of, other, the weaknesses of other, others, excuse me, I got to sip some water. I had some water. Oh, it's right here. Sorry. Um, you're okay. Thank you, Kaylin. Thank you, Will. <laughs> but we're not good, right? We're not good at dealing with our weaknesses, and we're certainly not all that great with dealing with the weaknesses of others. There's an article that actually, there's some research that has gone into this. In the New York Times, um, there was an opinion ad written, and, and the title of this article was, Americans, <laughs> Stop Being Ashamed of Weakness. That's pretty, pretty straight to the point, right? There, the author was actually writing about uh, people who had recently suffered strokes. And they had wanted to, at one point in their recovering process, re-engage in society. And specifically when it came to their job. And they found that um, society kind of shunned them, you know, kind of pushed them away. Mainly because their speech was slurred and slow. And so it was this research that was done, and it kind of took the author by surprise and those who were like doing the research by surprise. And the author actually said something painfully telling about American culture. And this is what I want to draw our attention to here as an example here when it comes to dealing with our weakness and the weaknesses of others. The author said this, too often in America, we are ashamed of being weak, vulnerable, and dependent. We tend to hide our shame. We stay away. We isolate ourselves rather than show our weakness. Now, I, I've been a pastor now in this church. I've served in, in different leadership capacity uh, in churches for over 20-something years. But for this church, I think I'm heading into my 10th or 11th year. I'm not quite sure. I really don't care. But I've been in it for a while. And, and I, I, in, in all the years of pastoring, I agree wholeheartedly with this article and the statement that this author made. Um, it seems like in the church, good God-fearing folks, right? Jesus-loving, God-fearing folks are embarrassed and ashamed of their weaknesses. Now, um, contrary to culture, 
who has this stigma about weakness, right? And, and kind of handling it and, and, and shinning, shunning, shinning. I, that's not a word, but um, I don't even know what two words I was trying to combine there. But anyways, um, you know, this, this thing in culture where they kind of shun, you know, the weakest amongst us. Uh, uh, Jesus doesn't. Jesus is so countercultural. Uh, Jesus, and, and you would think, I mean, this is God, the Son. I mean, I'm sorry to get loud there, but that even that blows my mind even more. You know, I'm, I'm thinking like God probably has my patience. You know, like would you just get it together? You know, you weak individual. No, but He's not, and He's not like that, and He's not like our culture. Jesus doesn't push away the weak. He invites the weak to come to him and not only come to him, but come to him to find rest, find rest. That's probably the main kind of, you know, force or, you know, I don't know, it just forces the best word that I could come up with that, that, that kind of drives fatigue and burnout in our lives. Like just the constant unrestfulness. I mean, you can feel it in society, too, in culture, out there, in the media, and all, all around us. It's just this unrestfulness. And Jesus here, he says, oh, man, I, I know there's a lot of traffic going on in your mind and in your emotions. Come to me. You're, you're being depleted because of it. But come to me, and I, I'll give you rest. Let's actually read the text that I'm referring in closing. Just a couple more thoughts here as we wind down. This is Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Jesus says here, come to me, all who labor and are of heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Wow, that is loaded right there. We, we just park right there. And, 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 and I, I would imagine getting into a lot of like kind of what, you know, most wears on us as individuals. Learn from me. <laughs> Have you ever done that? You just like prop the gospels up and just spend a good amount of time observing and learning and studying the life of Christ. You might want to if you haven't. He says, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, unlike culture, unlike me, you know, unlike maybe some of us, Jesus says, come. He doesn't say, depart from me. He doesn't say, get away from me. Like, right? You're annoying. You're kind of bothering. You're always whining. You're always tired. You're no good, right? No, he doesn't do that. He says, come to me, those who are weak. It's pretty significant in a world that despises every kind of weakness. In a world that tends to push the weakest of us away, Jesus invites weak people to come. He's not annoyed by our weakness. Friend, let me just encourage you today. If you're on that side of feeling depleted and burnt out and weak, listen, today Jesus is not annoyed with you. This, that, that, that weariness that you feel is actually, well, it's not in, an, it's in part an invitation. It's an invitation where Jesus said, hey, I see you, man. You're lowly depressed, you know, you ain't got a wife yet, <laughs> you know, your bank accounts looking a little, you know, low these days, whatever the case might be, 
You know, the barber didn't do so good on your cut. You know, I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know what kind of upsets the age of Instagram. You know, I don't, I don't know what gets us these days. But Jesus doesn't push us away. He, he tells us to come to him. He's not annoyed at our weakness. He knows and he has empathy towards the heaviness that's in our souls. He doesn't turn us away when we need bread, right? Like that man who showed up in the late hours of the night in Luke 11. Jesus doesn't turn that man away that needs something just because it's late at night. He says, come on in. Come on in. Jesus opens the door. He's always ready. Christ is always ready to receive us into his care. He's not going to turn his children away, kind of like the disciples did, like when they were annoyed and bothered by them pulling at Jesus and trying to get Jesus's attention in Matthew 19. No, Jesus is like, let my children draw near the strong, the weak, the poor, the wealthy, the broken, the cripple, all of my children. Let them come as they are to me. I love John Bloom's work. He's a pastor, I believe, in Texas. I may have that wrong, but I, from time to time, uh, stumble across his work to just kind of help me understand the Bible. <laughs> and, and, and John Bloom wrote this on Jesus's invitation. He said, the simplicity of Jesus's promise is both striking and refreshing. Jesus doesn't offer us a fourfold path to peace-giving enlightenment like Buddha did. He doesn't give us five pillars of peace through submission, as Islam does. Nor does he give us ten ways to relieve our weaknesses and our weariness with pragmatic self-help orientated 21st century, century Americans are so drawn to do. Unique to anyone else in human history, Jesus simply offers himself as the universal solution to all that burdens us. The remedy that Christ uses to quell and to heal those who are weary and burnt out is himself. Come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will remedy your weariness. The question that we need to ask ourselves today is this, is, is Jesus able and is Jesus enough? According to what he said in the text, is he able to heal our burnout? And is he enough to keep us from burning out again? Is he, Jesus able to give us rest for our weariness? Psalms 107, 9 says this, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. I think Scottish scholar F.F. F. Bruce said it well as I close and wrap it up just to kind of conclude this installment of the teaching. He says this, the soul's deepest thirst is for God himself who has made us so that we can never be satisfied without him. Let me read that one more time, and if I could have the worship team come. The soul's deepest thirst is for God himself, who has made us so 
that we can never be satisfied without him. This time we're going to take communion. And so I would like to invite Muiwa up to do that. And then we're going to circle back around, cutting this five minutes short, um, because I think it's appropriate to open this altar and pray for those among us that may feel just tired, exhausted. Maybe it's a, a, a mental fatigue. Maybe it's an emotional. Muiwa, come close, man. Uh, maybe it's a, a physical fatigue, whatever it is, but I feel like um, God would lead us to maybe pray for one another and encourage one another. But before we do that, let's look to Jesus in this moment and let's take communion together, shall we? Yeah. Yeah. What a, I think the best way to, to close the service, this kind of sermon is to actually yield to the invitation that Jesus Christ said that Come to me, ye that you know heavily burden. Come, my yoke is light and my burden is light. So at this time of this morning, uh, as a community of Christ, we invite you to join us to take our holy communion. I'm sure maybe you, on your way, uh, we have the ushers. Give, it, uh, give this element to you. But if you don't have it, you can raise up your hand. Uh, we have horses uh, passing by and uh, signify and they will put one in your hand. And also, please, uh, at the end of service, make sure that you bring the, uh, the helmet, I mean the trash, so that we can uh, make this place clean. Yeah, I'm just going to read a quick verse here. So during this time, we, we know that it's a time that God is calling us, inviting us into forgiveness, into redemption, and into reconciliation into the body of Christ. So I invite you, if you believe in Christ, and if you're a believer of Christ, to join us uh, as we take this element. And if you, yeah, you're not a believer of Christ, yeah, we are so glad that you are here with us. Feel free to leave the helmet behind. Uh, we believe uh, God will impact you and uh, yeah, turn your heart and we will actually understand the impact of what we are doing as a believer of Christ. So before we partake together, let's take a minute to examine our relationship with God and with others. I'm going to read the verse here says, search me, O God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thought, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting. At the last supper, Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, take it, this is my body broken for you. As often as you take it, remember me. Let's take the bread together. Then again, at the same night, 
Jesus took the wine and blessed it. Then said, take, drink. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, remember me. So let's partake in the juice together. your invitation this morning Lord has Darrell said and with all the information and evidence that yes we agree that we are weak Lord we agree that by ourselves we cannot do even the right thing even sometimes our, our hearts want to do the right thing but we are just so weak in our body Lord, we recognize this and we say we yield to you, Lord. We invite you. We take up, we put all our burden, we lay it at your feet this morning. And we take up your yoke, oh Lord. Because we know that you are a good, good father, Lord. Because we know that you are just enough for us. We know that knowing you alone we have all our needs met. Knowing you alone, our emotional needs is met. Knowing you alone, mental needs is met. Knowing you alone, even our spiritual needs is met, oh Lord. So Lord, we recognize this and we yield to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can we stand to our feet and just sing this little old hymn together? Uh,